Hi, my name is Blake Jones. I'm one of the ministers here at the Rainbow Church of Christ. And we know, we know that these last several months have been very hectic, very chaotic, very uncertain. And we, we know that you are just like us, that, that we are curious how we can manage to not only survive these times, but thrive during these times. And so what we want to do this evening and for the next several weeks is share with you a, a sermon series entitled In Times Like These, where various men will be coming to you and, and sharing a, a portion of God's Word to help us know how to thrive during these uncertain times. Tonight our guest speaker is Lonnie Jones. Lonnie is a, an amazing communicator of the Word of God. He is with the Meridianville Church of Christ. He's a licensed professional counselor. And I've had the blessing of knowing Lonnie for, well, a little over 20 years now. And one of the things that I have learned from this wonderful man of God, this, this faithful brother in Christ, is no matter what he does, he does it with passion and compassion like no one else. And so I know that all of us are in for a treat this evening as we sit at his feet and we learn from him, from the Word of God, we learn how to, in times like these, how to be strong. In times like these, that's a, an interesting theme for a series because we've never seen anything like this before. This is unprecedented. The uh, inspired writers seem to anticipate that humans, especially churches uh, that involve frail humans are gonna go through difficult times. And, and the perspective that seems to always be offered is you can look at the uh, external, what's going on around us, or you can look at the internal, what's going on inside us, or you can look at the eternal, that which is going to be promised for us. And so uh, kind of a generic discussion about in times like these, I'd like to offer some perspective from the book of Romans. Paul is writing to a group of Christians who are having trouble getting along. Uh, he basically establishes the idea that you shouldn't worry about your identity as a Jew or a Gentile. Everybody who's ever been born has a sin problem, and the only way to deal with a sin problem is God and God's grace. Now, once you get involved with God's grace, there's some things that go along with it. You know, I used to say that everything you say yes to is something else you say no to. Well, that's true, but everything you say yes to also has some other yeses, some little ducklings that follow it along. Well, once I recognize that I'm a person who is redeemed and I'm a person who has been saved, then I get to use my perspective from a saved person with an eternal perspective to look at any kind of a temporary situation. Paul says it much more elegantly. Uh, Romans chapter 8, start about verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So Paul starts out first saying, okay, so when you look at these kind of times and look at whatever's happening in your life, you want to do a compare and a contrast. Whatever's happening in the present, whether it's persecution of the church, 
whether it's the uh, economic decline of a country, whether it's dealing with some kind of situation like a pandemic. Paul says if you look at the present circumstances and you compare them to the future, especially what he talks about, the future glory that will be revealed in us, it's not worth comparing. It's not even worth putting on the same board. There's no comparison. And to illustrate that, he talks about not just our glory, but the glory of the creation. Now think about creation. Think about the most beautiful place you've ever seen. Uh, Jackie and I got to go to Hawaii when we've been married 25 years. Got to see the, the, the waterfalls and the rainbows and the seascapes. I've been privileged to go to Alaska. I've been privileged to climb in Yosemite. Think about the most beautiful place you've ever seen and realize it's ruined. No, no, it's beautiful, but it's not like it was designed because when it was originally created, it was not corrupted by sin. There were no thorns. There were no difficulties. Paul says that the creation itself was frustrated because of sin entering the world. And when God had to curse the lifestyle of man, He also had to curse the environment of man. What would this world look like without sin? What would this world look like if there was no thing built into it to make it decay and at some point fall away? What would the world look like as a true paradise? Paul says, if you want to think about the prettiest place you've ever seen and think that it has been ruined by sin, well, what did it look like? If that's what a ruined creation looks like, then what do our lives look like if God redeems us and if God gives us the same hope that essentially He gives creation that one day the sin layer is going to burn off and we'll get to go live with God. The elements and everything will be melted with a fervent heat and, and the subjected to be in a world fallen by sin and controlled by physics, that's going to go away. So in times like these, the first thing you want to do is recognize that God's got something stored up for us. God's got something stored up because He's going to reveal our glory. And basically it's not our glory, it's His glory revealed in us and us living in His glory. Look at verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth up until the present time. The, the creation was not designed to be like it is. It, it had a different purpose and when sin came into the world it, it sort of put the creation in bondage. And the creation can't wait to be done. He's almost doing an anthropomorphism of creation. The, the creation is like it's waiting to give birth to something different. Not that the new heaven or the new earth will be a physical place, but when this is burned away and burned up, then the habitation of man and the habitation of God will come together. And, and, and that frustration that is hitting the creation will go away. So the creation is, bond, is, is in, in labor pains and it's been groaning and not only the creation, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. We're, we've been brought into the kingdom of God and, and, and God's Spirit dwelling in us. And I heard a really interesting discussion about the Holy Spirit that in the, the ancient times, a temple was an intersection between the divine and the human. It doesn't matter what religion and especially the, the temple of Solomon was designed where God said, this will be a place where my eyes and my heart dwell forever. 
And this will be a place where my divine nature and the human nature has an intersection. In New Testament Christianity, the temple is us. Peter talks about living stones. Paul talks over and over about the Spirit of God dwelling in us. We are the temple of God so that there's an intersection between the divine and there's an intersection between the human. And as first fruits of the Spirit, as people who get to be spiritual creatures, we're groaning also. We're groaning inwardly because we want the redemption of our bodies. Now think about that. If the creation has been frustrated to futility because of sin, what happened to our bodies? Look at the people who are closest to the Garden of Eden and look how long they lived. And the further away you get from the Garden of Eden, the shorter you get on our lifespans. Our bodies at one time weren't designed to be frail. Our bodies at one time weren't designed to be insubstantial. Our bodies at one time weren't designed to fall apart. Think about trading in this body. Think about trading in this body for something that is renewed, for something that is eternal. I don't know what the celestial body is going to be like, but I know it's going to be better than this. It's not going to get old. It's not going to decay. It's not going to degrade. So the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only has the creation done that, but we ourselves we have the first fruits of the Spirit and we groan inwardly waiting for the adoption of our bodies, but I skipped a phrase, as well as the adoption as sons. At some point, the difference that is, I'm a physical creature, I'm going to become a totally spiritual creature. And I'm going to move from being separated by God from the Spirit and the flesh to being absolutely just a spiritual creature and get to be adopted by God and live with Him and in Him and in His presence forever. So take whatever circumstance you want to take. Take any situation that you want to look at on this earth and say, okay, I'm going to take this temporary 70 years of X and I'm going to compare it to living in God's presence in a new body with my adoption as a son of God. Now, it's interesting that Paul says the redemption of our bodies and this is the hope that we've been saved. Biblical hope is an eager expectation for what God's going to do. Uh, hope in, in Bible terms is not like, I hope I get a deer this year or I hope I get this present for Christmas. The idea of biblical hope is the idea that, that we trust in what God has promised that God's going to fulfill it, and it's not a matter of if, but when. And so Paul says, now we haven't seen it, we haven't experienced it, but we wait for it patiently. We live in the present circumstances because, number one, we know they're temporary. Number two, we know that we are not meant to be permanent residents in the physical realm, and we're going to be adopted by God, we're going to get the redemption of our bodies, and we're going to get the adoption of sons. And so when we begin to think about how would I deal with these circumstances, how do I deal with these present situations, it's basically a shift in, in perspective. The perspective goes away from the temporary to the eternal. The perspective goes away from the what's happening right now to what God has promised will happen in the future. And in the same way that we're given this hope, he also wants us to know something about the way the Spirit interacts with us. Verse 26, in the same way, this, this hope, this redemption, this adoption, this freedom, this looking forward to future glory, 
In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. When the circumstances of life impact us and our frail human bodies are overwhelmed, we have an equipment, we have a resource from the Spirit that helps us. Now notice the, the resource that he talks about. For we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance to the will of God. And so when we begin to talk about, okay, I'm overwhelmed in a present circumstance. I don't know where the answer comes from. I don't know what's going to happen. Number one, I've got hope. Number two, the hope comes from the fact that I have salvation. And because I have salvation, the adoption as a son and the redemption of my body. But really, when you get into these situations and you don't know what's going on and you don't know how to respond, your best recourse is prayer. I think sometimes we use prayer as a last resort, but prayer becomes a first resort. Uh, I've got a lesson where I talk about that when Peter uh, is told by Jesus, hey, the devil's asked to have you. And of all the things that Jesus could have used, of all the cosmic power at his disposal to help Peter in this confrontation, he said, the devil's asked to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. Of all the things Jesus could have done for Peter, what did Jesus choose to do? He chose to pray. And so Paul says, in times like these, you've got help with your weaknesses because you can pray. And even though you may not know exactly how to articulate what you're feeling, you may not know how to say what you want to say, you've got this promise that the Spirit takes our thoughts and our prayers and our wishes and our fears and our hopes, and He intercedes, if you will. He translates them to God for us. And, and God knows the Spirit and He searches the Spirit and because of the intimate relationship we have with the Spirit, God understands us. Uh, I teach a de-escalation class for the police. And in talking about communication, we say that you know the, the thing that people want most is to be heard, understood, and accepted. That's what this verse has just said. God hears us because of the Spirit. He understands us and He accepts our position, and He accepts those petitions. And so I'm overwhelmed at the present circumstances, and I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to articulate it. I pour out my heart to God with a groaning that can't be expressed, and the Spirit says, Father, what Jones is talking about is this. Years ago as a little boy, I heard an illustration. You've got a mom, and she's in the back bedroom, and she's sick. And you've got an eight or a nine-year-old son who decides, I'm going to go pick some flowers and make mom feel better. And he goes out in, into the field and, and he picks everything that he thinks is pretty. So he comes back in the house with this wad of dandelions and daffodils and buttercups and rabbit tobacco and everything else you can have. And he's got this wad and his big sister meets him at the door and says, where are you going with that? He said, I'm going to give these flowers to mom. Oh, I'll take them to her. And she grabs that wad of weeds and as she walks through the house, she throws out the rabbit tobacco and she moves this around and she arranges this. And by the time she gets to the mom, she says, here's some flowers that Billy picked. Now, are they his flowers? Yes. Did he pick them? Yes. Did he send them to mom? Yes. But are they arranged in such a way that mom can appreciate them? Absolutely. 
the Spirit takes our conglomeration of emotions and thoughts and groanings and fears, and He takes that from our heart, and He walks, if you will, through the house, and He arranges that and then presents it to God as a prayer. In times like these, God to definitely believe that we are heard, we are understood, and we are accepted because the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. And then look at the conclusion of this. Verse 28, And so in all these things, God works for good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. The promise we have from God is that God takes any situation and makes it useful. Now, I don't believe God kills people. I don't believe God takes people. I don't believe God gives people cancer. I don't believe God makes babies die in cribs. What I do believe is that God can take those circumstances and make them useful in our lives. I don't always believe that useful means positive. I don't believe everything happens for a purpose, but I believe God can take everything and make it useful. God can make sense of the senseless. And so what God does is He takes the circumstances, and please don't read 28 without reading 29, because what God uses our circumstances for is so that we might be conformed to the likeness of His Son. Now, changing me into something that looks like Jesus may not be a pleasant experience. What I have to, to go through to have that transformation may not be something that's enjoyable. So, so don't read into this that God takes everything and makes it pleasant. It says God takes everything and makes it useful. God takes things that don't make sense and gives them sense. Um, I used to play a game with my daughter. Uh, she would scribble on something and I'd turn it into a picture. Uh, it was a game that we really, really, really enjoyed. Uh, in, in fact, she'd come home from college and bring her college buddies, and we would draw uh, with uh, sidewalk chalk on the driveway, and then I would turn their scribbles into pictures. And I don't know how many college girls have stood on step ladders in my driveway taking pictures of the things that we drew together. And we were playing this game one time at Macaroni Grill. I think we're all in, in uh, Nashville, and there we're eating with, with a couple, and at Macaroni Grill, you can draw on the tablecloths, and Lonnie Beth said, hey, Dad, let's do the scribble game. And so they would scribble on the tablecloth, and I would walk around the table and turn it into pictures. Pretty cool game. We, we played it so much, the waitress brought us a new tablecloth because they're, they're paper, and so she let us fill up two tablecloths. Several months later, I'm at a friend's house, and we're watching a ball game, we're eating steak, and they just moved into this house. They probably hadn't been in this house a month. And the lady of the house says, hey Jones, I want you to come look at Joshua's bedroom. Joshua's their oldest son. So I walked through the house and she said, last weekend our neighbor, next door neighbor, their little boy got sick and we kept their daughter while they went to the emergency room and we kicked Joshua out of his room, put him on the couch, and put this little girl, I think her name was Morgan, about three or four years old, and, and we left her in Joshua's bedroom. Sometime during the night, she decided to get up with a red magic marker and express herself. And so about four-year-old hike all around this room are these scribbles, these strange red markings. And the lady of the house said, and since we're going to have to paint this room anyway, why don't you just take some markers and see what you can create here, and if we like it, we'll have an original. And then, you know, you ever get your kid's book published, then we'll have Lonnie Jones' original artwork on our wall. I said, so you're asking me to take 
permanent markers and draw on your walls? And she said, yes. And so I spent about two hours in this bedroom really making some cool stuff. The, the little girl had made almost a perfect letter S. I turned it into the head of a brachiosaurus with a, a volcano in the back. For some reason, there's just almost this perfect straight line at a slight angle, and I turned it into a lightsaber blade of a Jedi Knight standing on top of a mushroom. All kind of cool stuff in this bedroom that had been laid out for me. And so while I'm drawing that, I thought about Romans 8, 28. In the present circumstance, I look at it and, and man, my wall is a mess. Now sometimes my wall gets messy because I'm stupid and I do stupid things. And sometimes I make bad decisions and mark on my wall. Sometimes my wall gets messy because I live in a world that's, that's controlled by physics and been frustrated because of the curse. And bad things happen to people's walls because they're not meant to be permanent walls anyway. And sometimes my wall gets messed up because my, my path intersects with evil and something evil in my life comes in and marks on my wall. And I stand here and I'm looking at this mess. And I'm trying to make sense of the senseless. And God says, hey, let me have your marker. And when I give my marker to God, my artwork, I'm a cartoonist. God's not a cartoonist. God's a world maker. God paints sunsets and God paints seascapes. God made rainbows. God made the Milky Way. When God expresses himself in art, it's a master artist. And so when God says, let me have your marker, he takes this mess, either a mess I've made or a mess that's made just because I live in the world or a mess that evil has made, and God turns it into a picture that makes sense. And it's useful. It's used in helping me conform to the image of his son. And so God says in times like these, you think about your future glory. You understand that the Spirit allows you to, to pray in a way that God will hear you, understand you, and accept you. Our bodies are going to be redeemed. We're going to be adopted as sons. And when these kinds of things happen, God takes these circumstances and uses something bad to help us conform to the image of His Son. And, and He talks about our, our purpose, and He talks about our being predestined. Please, when you read the New Testament, understand the word predestined means predetermined. God says, if this, then this, then this. I'll send my son. Those who believe in him will be saved. Well, we've been predetermined to be saved if we respond to the things that God did. So don't, don't read into this predestined any word other than the idea of that God had a plan to redeem us and adopt us. And so here's the conclusion. If I'm going to be redeemed, if I'm going to be adopted, if I look at the glory that God has prepared and compare it to the present circumstances, and I understand that in any circumstance, God will work those things for good of those of us who have been called and been predetermined to be His children, here's the conclusion. Verse 31, so what do you say to these things? If God is for you, who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? The marker for whether or not God loves you is not what God's going to do to you, but what God has done for you. And God's already on record. Hey, you want to understand my nature? Look what I gave you. You want to understand what I'm willing to do for you in these present circumstances? Look at what I've already given you. If God would give us Jesus, 
when we were at a time rebellious and sinful, now that we're children, now that we're sons, if God would not spare His own Son, will He not, along with Jesus, give us the things that we need? Who then will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who, who condemns? Christ died. More than that, He raised to life, and He's sitting at the right hand of God, and He is also interceding for us. In the same vein that the Spirit lives in our hearts and is interceding with God, Jesus is sitting by the throne, and He's interceding with God. He's telling God what it is to be human, what it is to be frail, what it is to be scared, because He lived our life. And so now we have this perfect combination where the Spirit and the Son and the Father are on the same page learning about what happens to us when we go through times like these. So then the apostle asks, verse 35, Who shall separate from the love of Christ? What kind of circumstance, what, what kind of situation are you going to come up with that can separate you? Well, he lists. Who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Can trouble or hardship, times like these. Can persecution, times like these. Famine or nakedness or danger or sword, times like these. It feels like what was written in the Old Testament, for, for your sake we face death all day long and we're considered a sheep to the slaughter. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I'm convinced, now listen to these circumstances, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, the present nor the future, nor any powers, height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, when you understand what God has done for us and you look at what's happening now or what might even happen in the future, you've got this assurance that because of what God has done for us, He will continue to do for us and nothing spiritual, Nothing in the temporal realm, nothing on the timeline, nothing under the arc of time, and no power, no dimension. There's nothing that can separate us from God's love. So what do you do in times like these? You rely on the hope of the Christian that God has redeemed us. Compare now to the future. Compare our physical to the spiritual, not the external, but the eternal and then recognize that we've got adoption as sons, we've got the redemption of our bodies, we've got the interceding of not just the Spirit, but the Son, and because of what Jesus has done for us, we can't be separated from the love of God. Times like these can't separate us from God's love. There's nothing in the created realm that has the ability to separate us from God there's nothing in the spiritual realm, not an angel, not a demon, that can separate us from God. The only thing that separates us from God is our choice. And it's our choice how we respond to times like these. We can be angry, we can be scared, we can be faithless, we can blame God, or we can look at the promises of God and live in that hope and then rest in the promise that we are more than conquerors, even in times like these. Wasn't that an amazing lesson from our brother Lonnie Jones? I am just so thankful for him. Listen, if you'd like to know more about him or maybe get in touch with him, you can go to LonnieJones.org and it will give you all the information that you need about him.
I want to encourage you, if you really enjoyed this lesson, if you found it to be a benefit to your life, share it on your Facebook page. We would love for you to do that so that more in our community can learn how to, how to thrive in times like these. And if you're in the Gadsden area, we would love for you to come worship with us any time that you would like at the Rainbow Church of Christ. Our worship service on Sunday morning, it begins at 1030 in the auditorium, but it also begins online. So if you're unable to come and be with us, you can worship with us online. If you go to the rainbowchurchofchrist.org, that's our website. You can learn all about us there and see how to watch our worship services there. We love you, but we hope you know God loves you so much more. Have a blessed week.